Uh, good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm uh, Matt Gemmel, and I'm here to talk about grace and singleness today. Um, for uh, catechesis or Sunday school, I'll confess, some, some of you had, uh, have heard me make this joke before, but I'll be honest with it, when I hear us uh, here at All Souls talk about this hour as catechesis, I always think of Stanley Hauerwas's quip where he defines an Anglican as a Christian who never misses an opportunity for pretense. But um, uh, 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 so this is catechesis or Sunday school. But like, let's let's um, let's let's start by praying. Praying, okay? So the Lord be with you, Father. We thank you that your love is always with us, even when it is hard for us to see it. We thank you that in Christ, none of us is really alone. I pray that you would be with us in this hour. I pray that you would bless the words that I have to say. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I'll just start by saying that I kind of feel like my only real qualification to give this topic is that I am a single man. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't, I'm not sure I have any special insight in grace and necessarily the grace of God. Um, these are just some thoughts that I have out of my own experience um, as a 34-year-old who is single and um, who does not expect to marry. Um, uh, undoubtedly, what I have to say is going to be colored by that experience of singleness. I, I, I want to start by just reminding everyone that there are all sorts of different ways that people find themselves single in the church. Um, our Lord talks about people who have been eunuchs from birth, eunuchs who have been made eunuchs, and people, eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs, right? And all of those people exist and are here with us today. Um, and so this is just my own um, particular experience. Not, not that I um, think I can improve on Christ's words, but I might add a few other <laughs> people, types of single people to his list. Um, because there are also people who have found themselves single after having been married, either through the loss of a spouse through death, or, um, or through divorce, which is quite common. Or um, even those, and I will just touch this very gently, there are those here among us, I would say, who even from the outside look like they are not single, but nonetheless feel very much alone. And I think we, we need to remember that those people exist too. Um, singleness makes a lot of people, both inside and outside of the church, really deeply uncomfortable. Um, so uncomfortable that most people assume that you're just gonna wanna do anything uh, you can to, to get out of that situation or to correct it. Um, a lot of people s treat singleness, both outside and inside the church, as a sign that something has gone wrong. Um, there was a really beautiful cover story in Harper's three years ago. It was in the April 2015 uh, issue of Harper's. Uh, and um, a writer, Fenton Johnson, um, was reflecting on his own life 
as a single person after um, his, which, which he has been ever since his partner died of AIDS in the early 90s. And he relates in the, um, uh, in the story, in the essay, an experience he had where he was in a taxi with some, several other writers and they were discussing a, a recent announcement by uh, some public figures, it doesn't matter, we won't get into who it was, who had um, uh, made a, a public pronouncement that, that they were going to be, that they were gonna be celibate, okay? And uh, he, he, he describes the reaction of these writers in this way. He said, there were snickers all around. Is that really possible, someone asked. I mean, do you think it's possible for a healthy person to be celibate? Debate on this question ensued. I, who hadn't been unclothed in the presence of another person in longer than memory, held my tongue. These writers, all of whom were partnered and in their 30s or 40s, agreed that a victim of accident, war, or illness might have to make peace with a life without sex. Otherwise, they were unanimous in questioning the legitimacy of the announcement. It's a public relations ploy, some announced to nods of assent. A commitment to celibacy my colleagues decided is either a gimmick or indicative of some deep-seated psychological trauma. Um, I was, uh, I, this, this story reminds me of an experience I had just this last fall where I was, I, for those of you who don't know, I, I, I work in music, I do a lot of opera, and I was uh, on a break uh, uh, with some colleagues down in Chicago um, having lunch at, at a show. We were, we were doing some, some work on, on an opera. And for some reason, people's uh, dating relationships came up. And everyone at one point you know, looked at me, and, and I just made the remark, well, I've, I've actually never been in a dating relationship. Um, and what was fascinating to me is the reaction of everyone at that table. There were two things. There was one, well, we have to find someone for Matthew. That was, the, that was just the initial response. And everyone started making suggestions about how either specific people or, or ways that I could find someone. Um, or there was, there was a reaction that somehow there's something must, be, must not be quite right in my life, right? That that would be the case. Um, of course, no one actually asked me why or was even that interested in hearing my story, right? Um, and this illustrates like my first big point. Um, singleness, both inside and outside the church, is a condition in life that people usually feel free to judge. Um, it looks different in different situations, but that judgment exists and is there. Um, in other words, you know, this is a, supposed to be a talk on grace and singleness, but let's first start, start by talking about law. And there's, there's a lot of law placed on singles, and there's a lot of judgment. At the most basic people level, people love to explain why someone is single, right? And what's judgment, by the way, but just often telling other people's stories for them, right? Um, and inevitably, these stories are often about how something went wrong in some single person's life. I will point out, and this is not to make anyone in this community feel guilty, 
But I have never had someone ask me about why I'm single at All Souls. So that's, that's one very basic thing um, where we judge single people. It's because we like to tell their stories for them. It's also true that for a lot of people, and this may be um, more in the church than outside, that singleness is often seen as a sign of immaturity. Um, on the one hand, this is understandable, I think, for a lot of the married people here. And, you know, I have married friends who tell me that this is the case, that their marriage is often a big step in their, uh, uh, in their adult life. In, it's a big step into maturation, right? There is a, a lot of growth that happens when you are married. But that doesn't mean that not having that in your, the, a marriage in your life uh, is a sign that that sort of maturation hasn't happened, right? And in fact, um, well, actually, before I, I said this, I, you know, the, inside the church, I have one friend um, uh, from Wheaton, from my class in Wheaton, who's a Presbyterian minister out on the East Coast. I don't hold that against him, but he, um, uh, he, when he was fresh out of seminary, he was searching for jobs and applying, and at the time he was not married. And he, couldn't, he could never find a church that was wanting him as, as a pastor. And the second that he was married, he suddenly had all sorts of offers, right? And that's a, he, was, he totally understood what was going on. And there was this sense that, um, uh, yes, now he's, he is, this is someone who is now worthy of being our pastor, right? Um, Apparently, Christ himself would not be sufficient for the Presbyterians. But, um, uh, I should also say, and I, I want to I speak carefully here, but I'm old enough now, I'm 34, um, to have seen quite a few people who were married in their 20s for whom that marriage was actually a sign of immaturity. Right? They, did, they entered into marriage without taking heed of those words in the old prayer book that are so wonderful that marriage is not by any to be enterprised nor taken in hand unadvisedly, lightly, or wantonly to satisfy men's carnal lusts and appetites like brute beasts that have no understanding, but reverently, discreetly, advisedly, soberly, and in the fear of God duly considering the causes for which matrimony was ordained. And those friends of mine, and some of them are friends for who, who did not take heed of those words, are no longer married. And um, I think it's important to remember that, entering into marriage, and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be some uh, at some chapel in Las Vegas, right? Um, that, that, that marriage can be a sign that these two people are, are deeply immature. Um, and that singleness, that faithful singleness, might actually be a greater sign of deep obedience and maturity. And that's, that's something that I almost never hear 
I think one other, um, one other way that I, as a single person, feel the weight of the law is simply an exclusion. Um, talk to any single person and you will hear many, many stories of being excluded in all sorts of different situations, but it's most especially by married people and most especially in the church. Um, marriage can often be a fencing off of a relationship from the rest of the world. Um, Ross Douthat has a, has a lovely phrase where he calls this deep familial selfishness. Um, bluntly put, married couples often use their obligations to each other, which are very real and very important. But married couples can often use their obligations to each other to avoid their obligations to their neighbors. And that includes those who are not married. Uh, I have simply come to expect to lose friends once they have married. Um, I can think of one, a, f a former roommate, who actually uh, quite a while ago attended All Souls with me. I was actually in his wedding a number of years ago. And since his wedding, I've only seen him a couple of times. Just running into him at the public library here in Wheaton. And some efforts that I've made to reach out to him have often even not been responded to. Um, just on Friday, just a couple days ago, I got a text from a really good friend of mine from high school who uh, was married in, in October. And the text just says, it's been too long. I'm sorry I've been kind of missing in newlyweds land. It's always annoyed me when people did that. But I kind of get it now. Um, you know, and then once there are kids, you just forget it, right? Like, <laughs> forget it, you know? Um, I mean, other, other stories just from all souls um, where exclusion can happen. I mean, I remember, and, and I'm, I am, I'm grateful for this community because this did not happen. So this is just a suggestion that was made when a, couple, a number of years ago when I was serving on the vestry, and this was before house groups, you know, this was in the, you know, what seemed like decades of discussion before those house groups actually started to, to meet, um, figuring out how it was going to work. Um, there was a suggestion that was taken very seriously at one point that house groups be set up for, for married people, right? And I remember just saying, um, uh, in that, in that vestry meeting, well, you know, this just seems like a, yet another place that I am not welcome as a single person here in the church. Um, or, um, and this is a, a difficult story for me in some ways, but there was a couple years ago, I think this was in November of 2016, or no, 2015, and the fact that I know the, the, the dates, uh, I think it communicates that this uh, was... Uh, an important experience for me and a painful one. Um, I was, had had a very difficult fall and was feeling very discouraged. Um, and I was in the service here in this, in this room and it, it became time for the passing of the peace. And um, in many ways there was nothing that would have been 
better for me to have another parishioner look me in the eye that morning and tell me and wish the peace of Christ upon me. You know, and so we, we said our confession and the comfortable words were read. And then we began to pass the peace. And I stood there, right over there, and um, looked around. And everyone was busy hugging their wife or their brother or their child. And no one even noticed that I was standing there all by myself. And so I just stood there kind of awkwardly. And then it became time for the choir to come up. And so I went up and sang with the choir. And that didn't happen once. That actually happened several weeks in a row. So, I mean, those are some stories of exclusion. And I would say as well, a lot of talks to single people in the church lay down the law in a big way because they are preoccupied with the nose of singleness, right? Not the nose, like on your face, but the nose as opposed, like there are no yeses in those talks, right? Married people get talks all the time about deepening a relationship and the joys of marriage and other things. Single people are just reminded that they aren't supposed to have sex, which is true, right? I don't, I don't want to say that that, uh, I, don't, I, I have no patience for anyone who, who, would, who would want to soften that command. But no is not a vocation. God always calls us to a positive thing. And I have to speak gingerly here, but the simple fact is, even here at All Souls, probably most of the single people here who have, are now in their 20s or 30s have not lived up to that commandment. And so if that's the only thing that they hear when singleness is talked about, they only hear the talks on singleness as a judgment, that they have failed. And if that's all we have to offer people, then we aren't offering them Jesus or the grace of God. And even if we are given a yes, right? And I'm grateful for those talks that I've been to that haven't just been a no. It often ends up just being a to-do list for single people. You're single. You don't have the... Um, obligations of married life or kids. So you have time to volunteer. You have time to study scripture. You actually could pray the office. Um, open up your home to host people. And those things are important. And it's true that in some ways single people have the time. Not all of them, you know. I mean, I'm, uh, I, I, I work as a freelance musician. It's sometimes hard for me to make my own meals. Um, but um, it is true that those things are important and that single people have freedom, that married people do not. But this is still more law. This is still a laying down of um, a list of things that you need to do 
if you're going to be worthy as someone who is a single person. And, you know, when I've sat in those sorts of discussions and talks and looked at my own messy, mediocre life, it has been just another way where I have also felt judged. So, anyway, those are um, some reflections on law and singleness. And I just want to take a pause before I talk about grace to ask if there are any questions or especially if there are single people who also want to share their stories a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, first I want to say thank you for being courageous enough to point out that, that difference. Because as a non-single person, I think I feel convicted. I, I, I didn't even think about it, um, that, that divide that's on that there. But I think it's part of also the human condition we don't see that exclusion mm-hmm. that is applied um, just it, not as a conscious thing. Um, but do you think that part of the reason non-singles feel that way is because we're myopic, we're locked into our um, perspective type of experience? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we all... Um, I mean, it's not just single people that have difficulty of seeing their neighbor in need, right? Or, or married people, rather, right? We all have that problem. And I think we all just need to be reminded that there are more people out there who, who are needy. Yeah? So what are some of the mentions saying yes and not just getting stuck in no? You know? Oh, sure. So what are some things that a single person can say yes to? Um, well, I'll get to that in just a second. I hope I have some things. Um, hopefully, when I say a few things, words about grace, we can, we can talk about that. Anything else, though? Yeah. Oh, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll try to. I mean, you can ask me, if I don't answer that question enough, you can ask me again in 10 minutes. Yeah? Thank you. 
for other than himself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's a really significant model for how married people should um, reach out to those who are not um, in the same kind of union as they are. Thank you for that. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. I only have I only have thirty four minutes left in the, uh, before the the next service. Um, um, I'm going to continue. We could hopefully have time for some more questions. Um, but let's talk about grace. Hopefully, this is a little bit more positive. Um, although the first the first reflection I have is actually. Um, well, just simply that singleness leaves me constantly aware of my need for love. Um, I think in a way that married people sometimes can forget. And that's, that's a difficult grace to receive. The grace is real grace. God's grace is often very difficult to receive. Um, this is the only mention of uh, a quote from the book that we've been supposedly talking about all year, but this is something that Paul Zoll has to say on his book on grace. In a way, then, singleness is an enviable point of need. It suffers the total war of the law, for it is a total state of accusation in the face of what the single person would wish for herself. Singleness cries out for solution, the intervention of one-way love. Um, I'm reminded of some words from a sermon that Matt Milliner gave a few months back that were for me a great grace to hear. And it was when he was talking about the scene of judgment on the last day in Matthew 25. And he said this, there's one place in the passage, this is, so this is Christ and the sheep and the goats. And there's one place in the passage where his presence that is Christ's presence, is actually guaranteed in the position of need. That's, that's why we are honoring the church in Iraq today. As for our congregation, are you sick? This passage guarantees that he will be made known in your lack. Are you grieving? He is there. Is there a need in your life in any way, a place where you find yourself asking? Matthew 25 assures you that he resides in that need just as he resides in the bread and the wine we'll be soon sharing. Perhaps most simply, simply, I have experienced grace um, in the context of church when people don't pretend that my need for love as a single person doesn't exist. And that Christ, and when, that, when it is recognized that Christ is present in that very need, And after all, that he understood that because he, too, was a single man. I experience grace when my singleness is not treated as a problem to be solved, something broken that needs to be fixed, but an opportunity for love, both to give to the single person, but also to receive from them as well. 
can be really simple gestures that communicate that. I think of a lot of the wonderful listening that my house group has to do to me talk <laughs> every couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> um, I also think about my just wonderful, wonderful parents who seriously have never once placed any pressure on me to marry. In my entire adult life, they've barely brought up the topic. They don't even joke about it. And that communicates to me that there are any further requirements I have to meet to receive their love. Um, so I just think of those times when I am honest about my situation, the difficulties I have, and when people just accept that, and they don't see it as something that needs to be explained away or told, or this often happens where I'm told that somehow and I just have to wait and then uh, a solution will arrive. Right. I have, I've had lots of conversations where that hasn't been the case as well. Um, where people say, well, God will, will, will fill that need or, you know, oh, God has someone for you, Matt. Right. But too often those discussions, those are, that's just mere sentimentality. That someone in, uh, indulging in feelings of caring for the single person with no actual cost to themselves. They're simply doing what James describes in his epistle. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So that's one way that I've experienced grace. A second way is the simply when I'm reminded that when I'm in the church, I am in a family. That the Christian community that I am a part of is already a family. Again, it's really simple things that can communicate this. Uh, one person who's uh, not here with us in Wheaton anymore um, was Bob Yasperic, but he always very warmly greeted me whenever he saw me at church as, as a brother. And for some, that might just be kind of some churchy affectation, right? But when I think about the relationship I had with him, that's one of the first things I think about. And this isn't just things that I see um, in how people have treated me. I think of Tim and Judy Newitt's relationship with their goddaughter, Ellie. A very thick um, relationship. A relationship where I see a lot of love given and shared. And it's a relationship that is built not on some sort of biological or familial relationship but on a shared identity in Christ. Or for that matter, Ellie's relationship with Carolyn and Martin, which is one of adoption. 
or as well our annual Maundy Thursday services where we eat together and share a meal together. Or simply when I receive invitations to share time and meals with families in this church, especially if I'm not treated as some sort of special guest where everything needs to be cleaned up or we even have to hire a sitter, um, but simply as a family member who can come and, and share an evening in the mess of an ordinary life. Um, there's a wonderful essay on family that Stanley Hauerwas wrote about 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And he talks about how the church is a more important family than families. And he has this to say, I take it that nothing embodies the Christian challenge to the family more determinatively than the presumption that Christians do not have to have children to be Christians. The most decisive difference between Christianity and Judaism is to to be found here. And he, he point, and this is a reference of, if you, if you don't think about this, if you ask a rabbi, what is the first mitzvah, what is the first commandment in the Torah, it is to be fruitful and to multiply, right? God has not willed the church to be reproduced through biology, but through witness and conversion. We must remember that the most significant thing the single give up is not sex. <clears throat> What the single give up are heirs. And they do so because they now understand that they have been made part of a community that is more determinative than the biological family. That the church is a more determinative community than a marriage is evidenced by the fact that it requires Christian marriage vows to be made with the church as witness. Our loss is right. And the more often we remember that, the more often it will, and the easier it will be to extend grace to single people in our midst. After all, when Christ asks the rhetorical question, who are my mother and my brothers with his mother and his brothers, or however you want to interpret that, but that's a discussion for another day. He looked around at those who sat around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Christ has a fair amount to say about faithfulness in marriage. Some very difficult things to say about faithfulness in marriage, to be honest. But he doesn't have a whole lot to say about love in marriage relationships. Instead, he has a lot to say about love in community and for the neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus wept, he was weeping for the death of a friend. Or in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And this brings me, I think, to the most important text for me as a single person, and fun, oddly enough, this is a text that I encountered in nothing that I um, read or watched as I was preparing for the today. 
This is a few chapters later in John's Gospel, in John 19 at the crucifixion. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. When we as Christians come together to the cross, Christ makes us family. When we eat of that tree's fruit, unlike the fruit of the tree of the garden, which brought only division, even to the first married couple, we are made one with each other and one with Christ in a coming together more of uh, in a coming together to make one flesh more profound and intimate than any earthly marriage. The feasting itself that we experience every Sunday, where Christ enters into us and we become one with him, is the marriage itself. And that's one that is not um, that does not exclude the single among us, but one that we all have to come to. And for me, that is the place where I experience the most grace as a single person. And when I come back and sit in my pew and think about, see all the other people who have just also taken on that flesh and to whom I am bound and bound together in Christ. So those are my thoughts on singleness. Um, I would like to ask if there are other questions or observations. If there are questions that I said I would answer and then I didn't, um, you can ask them again. I have nothing else to say to that except yes. You know. Yeah, honey.
Yeah, Joy. Oh, maybe the first question is, do I? Yeah, I mean, I, the, the, I, I said this to a couple people, I think, before as I was preparing for this. I, I said, I want to make sure there's a lot of grace for the single people felt after I talk. I don't really care too much about the, the married people. Um, uh, if, they're, if they're feeling a lot of grace after I'm, after I'm finished. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's... I'm just... I, I, all I could say is as difficult as as community is, uh, and Christian community is. Um, you know, I, 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 um, I talked just very briefly at the very beginning of my, uh, my today about experience that I had outside, just at work, you know, working in, uh, with a opera cast and crew down in Chicago. And as difficult as it is, and as much judgment and as you feel sometimes in the church, I can I can assure you there is about fifty times more um, out there when I'm not in that community. Um, so um, that's one thing that keeps bringing me back, right? Um, and I would also just say that. Um, the ways that I do experience grace in the community, um, in ways that I, I talk about, and in, uh, that keeps me coming back as well. Um, because the grace of God is here, and Christ, I do meet Christ here. Um, and and that is a profound thing. Yeah. As a sign of my sensitivity, I 
Sing fingers, so yeah, okay. Who? <laughs> oh, okay, sorry.
there is that sharing of our common life in Christ despite the differences in our life situation. And I'm thankful for that, and I, I just hope that we can build on that and be sensitive to all the things that you've been speaking about this morning. I don't know we have 10 minutes before the next service is supposed to begin. Yeah, Mark. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're seeing some of those things we can do to make ourselves vulnerable today. And I think our house groups have helped us do that as a community. And I think that's on all of us as individuals. And I end up thinking more and more about parenting beyond the game, what a mercy that is, that we're not going to go through holding hands frolicking. Yeah, Mike. How would you encourage single people I mean, in some ways, I kind of purposely didn't because I didn't want to lay down any more law, right? Um, uh, I mean, I, I, I would say, like, I mean, I'm very good at just walling myself off from other people, right? Like, I'm great at being my own abbot. Um, I'm a terrible abbot, but you know, it's, it's, it's lovely, you know, I have a fool for a guide, but you know, I don't have to listen to anyone else. Um, 
so, I mean, I think, um, I, I guess I would just say two things. One, and, you know, at the risk of it being maybe too theoretical, I mean, for me, it can be really hard to receive love, you know? Um, I mean, if someone wants to make me dinner, you know, like, I'm easy, it's, that's easy for me to receive that. But, like, actual, um, you know, interest, you know, <laughs> beyond that can be hard for me. You know, like, it, it actually requires a certain amount of vulnerability that I, I'm not sure I always want to give. Um, so that, that's something that I think. But then also just, the, inevitably, there's always going to be someone who is lonelier or in a more difficult place than you are, right? So I think it's important to look for those people um, because uh, I think if you ask God to show them or to, uh, to reveal those people who those are, who, 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 he want, who he wants you. And they could, again, they could be married. Um, if you ask God to show you who you need to be giving love to, he will, he will give you opportunities, right? Um, so I would, those are the things that I would say. Yeah, I think we...